German theologian Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote that the early mornings belong to the Church of the Risen Christ. At the break of light, it remembers the morning on which death and sin lay prostrate in defeat, and new life and salvation were given to mankind. This comes as unfortunate news for someone like me who can barely remember who she is at the break of light, much less ponder the theological implications of the resurrection. I'm not exactly what you call a morning person and would in fact prefer to be the one lying prostrate in defeat at such an early hour. The halcyon joy of watching the sunrise remains for me just another one of the universe's inaccessible gifts, like the northern lights and naturally curly hair. No doubt I would have shooed poor Mary Magdalene away with a soft, pillow-muffled grunt had she asked me to help her bring the burial spices to the tomb that fateful morning 2,000 years ago. I'd have slept right through the main event. Religious folks have always had it out for us night owls. My book of hours stipulates that morning prayers be said between 4.30 and 7.30 a.m. How I'm supposed to talk to God at an hour in which I cannot even speak coherently to my husband is beyond me. Yet nearly all of the church's most venerated saints were said to be early risers. And growing up, I remember pastors speaking reverently about their morning quiet times, as though God kept strict office hours. Even the world's great cathedrals are built with their entrances on the west side and their altars on the favored east. Old European churchyards, dappled with wind-abraded headstones, still reflect the custom of burying the dead with their feet toward the rising sun, as a sign of hope, and with the expectation that when Jesus returns to Jerusalem at the second coming, the faithful will rise and look him in the eye. One can only hope this will happen sometime after nine o'clock in the morning, Eastern Standard Time. If early mornings indeed belong to the church, then my generation is sleeping in. In the United States, 59% of young people ages 18 to 29 with a Christian background have dropped out of church. Among those of us who came of age around the year 2000, a solid quarter claim no religious affiliation at all, making us significantly more disconnected from faith than members of Generation X were at a comparable point in their lives, and twice as disconnected as baby boomers were as young adults. It is estimated that 8 million young adults will leave the church before their 30th birthday. At 32, I only just qualify as a millennial. Let's just say I still have several episodes of Friends saved on tape. But despite having one foot in Generation X, I tend to identify most strongly with the attitudes and ethos of the millennial generation. And because of this, I'm often asked to speak to church leaders about why young adults are leaving the church. One could write volumes around that question, and indeed many have. I can't speak exhaustively about the social and historical currents that shape American religious life, or about the forces that draw so many of my peers away from faith altogether. The issues that haunt American evangelicalism are different than those that haunt mainline Protestants, which are different than those that affect Catholic and Episcopal parishes, which are different than those influencing Christianity in the parts of the world where it is actually flourishing, namely the global South and East. But I can tell my own story, 
which studies suggest is an increasingly common one. I can talk about growing up evangelical, about doubting everything I believed about God, about loving, leaving, and longing for church, about searching for it and finding it in unexpected places. And I can share the stories of my friends and readers, people young and old, whose comments, letters, and emails read like postcards from their own spiritual journeys, dispatches from America's post-Christian frontier.